Hey community, welcome to our sermon podcast for wanderers, seekers, and thinkers, for deconstructing and reconstructing. This is a feed of Open Door Church, a faith community focused on God's love and grace, a progressive church built around action, community, and people. Enjoy this week's message and check back often as we're posting new content every week. see ourselves in a place of exile? Are we living in a world of exile? If, if a large piece of the biblical text is built around this story of exile and, and what it means to, be, to live in exile and what it means to be restored from living in exile, then we're asking again, is this where we are? And we run into a few like, like there's very easy to get off track when we're looking at this, at our world as exile. Um, because you have, you have two quick directions. Uh, you can look out into the world and say, oh, this world is such a terrible place, and God is, like, where is God, and why are these people in charge, and morality is down the tube, and we have to live... And the response to that is always a live in purity. Uh, but, but the alternative is to look out into the world and see that we are living in exile for different reasons than that. Uh, a big piece of which is the role that the church plays in our culture and the way that we, shall we say, acquiesce to the, to the culture at large. Uh, money, power, fame. All of that is, is fully immersed in church culture. Like we're not, we're not pulled back from any of it and we continue to live as, uh, as if those are the powers that be. And, and so we've been asking that question. So if we're living in exile, what does exile mean? What does it look like? What is our response to exile? Last week specifically, we looked at Ezra and Nehemiah because what happened is, just a quick rundown for those of you that haven't been here, just a quick rundown. Assyria comes in, overtakes Israel, but the southern kingdom, Judah, with Jerusalem and the temple, are still in place all the way down to 587 BC. And in that process, when Babylon comes in, takes over Syria, and then Babylon then comes into Judah and Jerusalem, they remove a huge portion of the population, or a small, significant portion of the population, take them to Babylon or move them to other places in the world. The reason that's significant is that it uh, displaces people. We look out into our world and we see people that are displaced all the time. Refugees, uh, people move for uh, the, the sake of their own safety, people that move for the sake of their own welfare, people that are forced to move because of religion or because of, because of all kinds of reasons, we see displaced populations all over our world today. This is very similar. For political reasons, portion of Judah is moved to Babylon. Persia comes along, in charge now, sends people back to Jerusalem. And we read this story as the, this positive moment of restoration when God's temple is being uh, rebuilt and, and you have this moment of great joy. But the subtext in the story are small moments 
of discontent, small moments of a subversive reality where people are looking at the world and saying, wait a second, God told me that God would be here. God told me that this is our land. And yet all the prophets, all the, the fruits, everything from our land is going to a foreign power. And I have a foreign king telling me whether I can build a house or not. I have a foreign king granting me papers, just like when we register people that come into Canada, granting me papers that tell me that I can live in my own land. These are subtle moments where in, we see in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah in this, this exilic period or post-exilic period where, where they're not quite happy with the way the world is and what God is doing or not doing in it. So we did a lot of that last week. I catch you up now because I don't have a Bible out this morning because we asked the question, if in this space, in the, in the biblical text, they're living in a way that is subversive. Uh, we looked at just briefly Daniel standing before the king, Ezra standing before the king uh, when they should be bowing. The subtlety in the text says, we live in a different space. We answer to a different king. The prophets who give them uh, the authority to build their house. Someone says, well, where are your papers? Who gives you the decree to build this house? But it was the prophets, not king, that said they could do that. Subtleties are important. So last week, we did a ton of biblical work. You can listen on our website. And this week, I want us to give put all of that behind us, and say, and just ask the question, and I'm going to tell a few stories, what does it mean to live and display and, and live out that alternative narrative? If Daniel is living out an alternative narrative before these people, before this king, to say, there's somebody else in charge, to say, uh, I don't need to... Uh, live like this because God is in control, or to for Ezra to look to the prophets instead of to the king to build. They are living an alternative narrative and, and expressing that in small or large ways. And so we ask the question, what does it mean to express or to live out an alternative narrative today? What does it say to the world around us, and how do we live? How do we live in this space? Not to be cliche, but just to use a cliche. The grumpy grandfather that wants to tell you, oh, this world is such a decrepit place, and, or just the evangelical Christian, right? This world is such a terrible place, and we have to live in this way to, to set ourselves apart. We've been there, we've done that, yet our churches look just like everything else. And this is, this is, we're still right on the, right on that bandwagon, right? Our churches look like just every, everywhere else, and our population looks like just everything, ju- everyone else. The question is, what does it mean to live an alternative narrative? To say we don't answer, or we don't uh, follow, or we don't need the same powers to give us authority to do things and to live the same control over our lives that we see in the world around us. I'm not making any sense yet, am I? Depends on who you are. 
Let me give a few examples, and we can go from there. Almost 38 years ago now, a gentleman uh, and a few others in the, on the southern border of Texas began asking this question. Why? Like, what is our purpose? What is our mission? What does it mean to follow what God has asked us to do? The gentleman's name is Ruben Garcia. And he and a few uh, Catholic friends of his decided to quit their jobs and serve the poor. As they developed their mission and their purpose and their direction, they began essentially just, it's a very simple thing, rejecting the culture of wealth and power and consumerism around them and began serving people on the streets, specifically migrants that were coming from Mexico. And for the next 38 years now, they just serve people. Literally, they, they said no to the world. They said no to the expectations to cozy up to people of power, to, to find more wealth, to find uh, more privilege. And they said, we're just going to serve. Today, they have a place called Annunciation House. And in a, in a world wrought with hate and contempt and, and frustration and anger, they take people in uh, that have nowhere else to go, that have no help to seek asylum in the, in, in the country, that have uh, no f- money for food, that have no way to, to get jobs or to, f- to find help, and they help people. That's it. It's very simple. It's a very simple concept, but in the midst of that is a rejection of the way the world functions. In the midst of that is a denial that we need the power, that we need wealth, that we need to purchase, which I have, the next new iPhone. I'm not always the best person to tell you what's going on. That's going to be the next couple of weeks, just for what it's worth. But the, the process is, is just identifying what does it mean to live in this world? What does it mean to offer the story of God through how we live? And for Reuben, it was, I need to stop everything, sit in place, and serve these people. Sometimes illegally, because that's what had to be done. Sometimes uh, against the church, sometimes against uh, his community, sometimes when, when he is raised up as someone that is adding to the problem, he continues to serve. And that's it. For him, it was that simple to say, I don't need everything else around, I only need to serve. Today, 35% of everyone that shows up at Annunciation, Annunciation House comes from ICE, the Immigrations Custom Enforcement, the ones that are raiding people's businesses and houses and all of this. When they have somebody that they don't know how to care for, a woman who's pregnant, someone that's, that's difficult to take care of, guess what? 
they call Reuben and say, hey, do you have any beds? Because we have a pregnant woman that needs help. He has made a difference in his world only by caring, only by looking after people, only by stopping and saying, what is God calling and asking me to do? What does it mean to tell the alternative narrative so that people see a different God, a different world, a different paradigm or meta-narrative? What does it mean to live like that? I don't expect you to go and quit your job. I mean, you can. That would be, uh, I think, admirable if you have a plan. Don't do that without a plan. (laughs) But that's not the point. The point is, are we asking the question, what is it, are we asking that simple question? What has God called us to do? And what is that, how does that interact with the world around us? If we're living in a world that is controlled by money and wealth and power, then how do we live differently? Last week, uh, I had an opportunity to be present at a candlelight vigil for uh, those that were killed at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. And to be honest, I didn't want to go. I was, it was a long week. I was tired. I didn't feel like being there. And we had a few words. It was nice. It was nice to identify that we don't have to live. And, and there's a few people going, why is this part of our world? And the question that was asked that I thought was so poignant was, what are we supposed to be doing? How do we stop this? And this, is the, this was the question, how do we live in a way that changes this action in the future? That was the good side. The negative side is that half the people there were politicians. But that's not what the time was for. When faith is set aside, we feel the need to cozy up to politicians. We feel the need to add to wealth so that we can do the work that we want to do or that we even that we feel that God has asked to do. But that moment wasn't about that, and yet and yet it always is. It's always about who am I connected to? What kind of what kind of access do we have? Reuben quit his job, didn't go serve those that would get him closer access to power, went and served the most, the powerless, those with nothing, those with, with no social equity to give back to him. That's his life's dedication, and it offers us, offers us a glimpse into a different world. A few weeks ago or a month ago or something, I had an opportunity to meet um, a doctor in Atlanta. He's become known as the doctor in the green Subaru. In Atlanta, they don't have the same access to health care. Uh, ours is not a perfect system. We can talk about that later. Ours is not a perfect system, but in Atlanta, it's worse. And in Atlanta, if you don't have... I want to relate it back here, but I'm going to resist that urge. In Atlanta, if you don't have money, if you don't have a, a good job, you don't have health care. 
there are places where you can go get some health care, limited health care, but you have to be able to get there. Sometimes that means 25 or 30 miles to get somewhere that might be able to serve you with some basic level of health care. If you don't have health care and you don't have a job and you don't have the money to pay for health care, you probably also don't have access to the transportation needed to go and get health care, right? Is this like you're seeing the complication of factors? You also don't have the funds to uh, feed yourself and be healthy and to avoid normal healthcare risks that we avoid every day just by having the right food and the right diet and the right access to things. Uh, he's an ear, nose, and throat guy, so not like ER or, uh, or even a family doctor that does just a bit of everything. But he was like, I see this need. I see these people without healthcare. What would happen is someone would come into his office with a massive growth on their face or, or in their mouth or something they, that could have been prevented long ago. He would go directly into, he would cancel everything, go directly into, into surgery, remove it uh, through this costly, difficult, uh, unnecessary, frankly, procedure, and then, and then go back to his office and treating regular patients and go, man, somebody should really do something about this. And then the next week, same thing. Somebody comes, on, comes in in an emergency type situation, uh, difficulty breathing, uh, and, and he goes in, does the surgery, comes out, goes back to his patients. Man, somebody should really do something about this. So he decides to take his green Subaru. He's like, I haven't done this in a long time, but, you know, I went through all the regular training and everything else. I can do some sort of like basic health treatment. And so he goes with his green Subaru and a few medical supplies and begins talking to people living on the streets. Hey, how's it going? How's your health? What are things that, that are causing you problems? And he begins treating people out of the back of his car, which is super illegal and not great, like, you know, insurance purposes and all of that stuff. He just begins, treat, begins treating people out of the back of his car. He saw a need. He saw a world that was broken. He saw a narrative that wasn't right and decided to do something and said, this is not right. And we don't have an alternative narrative out there to address this. And so he began living differently. It was small at first. It's grown into something very big. They have a location. They have people that come in that are paid staff to come in and treat people out of their clinic. He still puts in tons and tons of volunteer hours because it has grown and it has such a need that he is living that out every day. But it began with just a very simple decision, asking the question, what am I supposed to be doing? And he goes and he makes a difference. These are people that have made big changes, have huge impact. I struggled when I was thinking about what is this what does this sermon look like because I don't want you to go away feeling like you need to go and quit your job and open a house for refugee families. Again, wonderful, have a plan, but I don't want you to go away feeling like that's how you have to tell the alternative narrative. The simple question is how do I live out that alternative narrative? How do I live out what God is calling that is 
that actually looks different and is not just a pious internal place of morality that makes me feel good. But how do, how do we live that out? What does this look like? Small things. Sometimes big things, but small things are important. Here in Maple Ridge, you know, we have a significant problem with homelessness and people that have nowhere to go. It's actually quite significant of a problem. And it's made worse by people in our community that won't open their eyes, that won't hear a story, that won't take in the reality of how someone got there or, or who they are or that these are individuals and not a mass of people only. So I want to tell you about a person. Uh, some of you know her. Many of you know her probably. Her name is Chris. And uh, you might have seen she ran for, she ran for council this, this past election. Chris saw the way the world functioned and felt like there was something that needed to be done. And it started very small, simply going to people and talking to them, hearing their stories, getting to know them. And for out of the last 18 months or so that we've had, that we've had a camp with people living in the most hor- horrendous conditions in Maple Ridge, in British Columbia, in Canada... Chris goes down and looks after people almost every single day. She doesn't have huge resources. She doesn't have an organization behind her. She doesn't have tons of money. And it wasn't ever about that. It was simply, here are people that need something. I'm going to go see what they need. The world will tell you that that's their problem. The world will tell you that you're not going to get anything out of it, that you can't solve the big problems, that you don't owe that to anyone, that, that you need to look after your own family first. The, the world will continue to press on your own individuality to tell you that you should spend time and do things that are for you and that are for your family. The world will tell you to, to get that selfie with the MP instead of being focused on those that are powerless. The world will tell you to continue to spend time gaining wealth instead of spending time building relationships. The world tells us all of these things, and Chris hears all of that just like we do and decides instead to go every day and spend time with people that can return nothing to her. She didn't win council election because Chris spends tons of time at Anita Place Tent City, and that's not what wins elections. You see, it doesn't have to be major shifts. It has to be those small questions of what am I doing that tells the story of God? What am I doing that that shows who God is, the one who cares for the the poor and the powerless, the one who hears the cry of the people and comes to rescue. What am I doing and how am I responding to that call? That's the question. And it can be small ways. Literally, 
How do you respond to people that you pass on the street when you're out for a walk? Uh, how do you think about consumption in the world with a growing population that can't continue to consume at the rate we're consuming? How do you respond to, to a world that is filled with stuff in our lives? Technology, media, toys for our children. How do we respond to this mass of stuff that move our focus away from relationships and people and our community? Those are questions that we should be asking. And the story of exile is one that both gives us answers and leaves us with more questions. But the story of exile demands for us to see people in a place that is not, that, that has the big story, the meta narrative that doesn't look like ours and gives you a, a way to respond. Ezra and Nehemiah had both a gratitude for the ability to, to, to return and to build the temple, and also these subversive notes underneath that said, you know what, this is the decree I'm supposed to live by, but according to the world, but God has called me to something different. These are the powers that I'm supposed to respond to in the world, but God has called me to something different. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Open Door Church. Our intro and outro music was created by Lee Rosevear and is used under a Creative Commons by Attribution license. Have a great week. Ask the hard questions and explore God's love. Everyone is always welcome to join the journey with us at Open Door. Learn more at opendoorfamily.ca. That's opendoorfamily.ca.